In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear faithful, I would like to speak to you about a theological distinction. And like most theological distinctions, it's difficult. But what you have to do is invest a certain intellectual capital at the beginning, and then at the end, if you've made that intellectual effort, you're able to uh, reap the fruits of a certain clarity, which is very nice. So the distinction goes like this. If we think about God and how knowable God is, how intelligible is God? Well, it turns out that God is extremely intelligible. He's most knowable. In other words, of all the things that there are, um, if we measure how much can be known about them, God is the most knowable. He's the most intelligible. Whereas something like a rock or a plant is not very knowable. There's not much to be known about a rock or a plant. So God is most knowable, but plants and rocks are very little knowable. At the same time, we find it easier to know rocks and plants than to know God. Even though God is most knowable in himself, it's very difficult for us to know him. Even though rocks and plants have very little to know about them, we find it easy to learn about rocks and plants. If you want to learn about a rock, well, you pick up a rock and you examine it, you look at it with your eyes, you bang on it, you take it apart, and you get to learn about the rock. But you can't do that with God. You can't see God. You can't touch God. Um, he is a pure spirit. He's remote from the realm of the senses, which is our natural way of knowing. And so you, you have this um, strange situation, we may say, for human knowers, where the things that are most knowable are hardest for us to know, but the things that are least knowable, like rocks and plants, are easiest for us to know. Okay, that's the distinction. And now I want to take that distinction and apply it to Christmas joys and Easter joys. Because in themselves, Easter joys are supposed to be greater than Christmas joys. Because they involve much greater things to rejoice about than the mysteries of Christmas. Yet in point of fact, we find it much more difficult to rejoice with Christmas joys than Easter joys. Even though the Easter joys of themselves have a great, much greater capacity for giving us joy, we find it more difficult to rejoice with the Easter joys. And even though the Christmas joys um, have a less capacity of, of giving us joy, we find it easier to rejoice in Christmas joys. And just to, to show you, to illustrate this, if I ask you, if I ask any one of you, can you name for me ten Easter songs? you would probably not be able to do it. It would be very, very, very difficult for you to name 10 Easter songs. Whereas if I, if I said, can you name for me 10 Christmas songs? You could rattle them off, just like that. And sometimes maybe 20 or 30 Easter, uh, Christmas songs. There's heaps of Christmas songs, but very few Easter songs. And I think that's a sign for me that we find it more difficult to rejoice in the glorious mysteries than we find it to rejoice in the Christmas mysteries. What is the reason? It's the same reason as to why we find it harder to learn about God, even though he's more knowable in himself, than to learn about rocks and plants, even though they're less knowable in themselves. The joys of Christmas 
are much more accessible to us than the joys of Easter because they concern our Lord coming down to our level, taking flesh, being present to our senses where he can be held. He's a little tiny baby and he can be viewed with the eyes. He can be heard. His voice can be heard during his public life. We can see him suffer um, in the sorrowful mysteries. So the joyful and the sorrowful mysteries are much more accessible. And so the joys of the joyful mysteries we find much easier for our souls to reap than the joys of Easter. I think it's always easier if we express things in terms of numbers. Somehow numbers are easiest for our minds to grasp. If you think of, if you think of Easter joys, like there's, there's like 250 Easter joys out there. If you maximize your Easter joy taking, you would have 250 Easter joys. And if you maximize your Christmas joy taking, you would have like 100. Christmas joys. Well, it, it would turn out naturally for us. We could probably get at least 50 of those Christmas joys, um, but we could probably only get like 15 of these. Even though there's 250 Easter joys available, we'd probably only get about 15 of them. Whereas, even though there's there's only 100 of the Christmas joys, we could get about 50 of those because they're more accessible. So, what? I want to um, point out with, with this is that the joys of Easter in themselves are greater, but they're less accessible for us. And we really have to try to appreciate the Easter joys more than we usually do. And if we are able to rejoice in the glory of our Lord, in the glorious mysteries, while we're still living in this life, even before we've experienced those things, then we may expect that we will seek heaven with a great intensity and we will actually attain heaven one day. So I'm going to give you two reasons why we should rejoice in the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second glorious mystery. And I'm going to take these reasons from Don Pius Parsh. Don Pius Parsh was a pre-Vatican II author who was like a more modern Dom Guéranger. So Dom Guéranger, most traditional Catholics know, he wrote this multi-volume set explaining the liturgical year. Well, Pius Parsh also wrote uh, many books explaining the liturgical year. They're just a lot shorter. So he gives two reasons why we should rejoice in the ascension. The first reason is that the ascension is the triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord has gone through this very, very difficult mission, much more difficult than all the mythic heroes. If you think of Achilles or Aeneas or the greatest heroes of human history, if you think of, I don't know, General MacArthur or, or General Patton or whoever the bravest persons you can think about, what our Lord went through was much greater than anything they had ever done. And he deserved a much greater glory. And today, he enters heaven in like his victory march, his triumphal entry into heaven, where he receives the accolades that are due to him for all that, that he's been through. How many times during his life did he say that those who are humbled will be exalted and those who are exalted will be humbled? And today is that day where he receives that exaltation even in his human nature. As God, he's already glorified. He cannot get any higher as God. But in his human nature, he was humbled. 
And when he enters into heaven on Ascension Thursday, he receives the supreme glory. He's crowned king over heaven and earth. He takes his place at the right hand of the Father, similar to the Assumption of Our Lady. When she enters into heaven, and she's crowned queen of heaven and earth. And well, I mean, if we love someone very much, and we see all that they've struggled for, and we, we observe their goodness in the things that they endure, when they finally achieve what they deserve, and they get what they deserve, we are overjoyed. We rejoice in their glory because we love them. And that's why we should rejoice with this triumph of our Lord. It should give us a great joy. The second reason why we should rejoice in the ascension is because of the fact that we participate. We already can have a participation in this glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even though none of us have experienced anything of what goes on in heaven, and none of us has passed beyond the grave and is able to taste those supernal joys that, that only belong to those who have a glorified body and a glorified soul. Yet, we can already participate in our Lord's glorification to some degree. Our Lord's glorification is also our glorification in the sense that today, human nature itself is glorified. Just as when Adam committed his fir the first sin of the human race, he somehow damaged human nature for all human beings. So too, when the new Adam enters into heaven with his human nature and sits at the right hand of the Father in a glorified state, to some degree, human nature itself is glorified. This is what Father uh, Pius Parsh says. Our human nature now partakes of highest divine honors in human form of Christ. Our brother, he enters heaven. In his human nature, he sits upon the throne of God and will remain there for all eternity. Therefore, we as human beings enjoy a unique distinction. A member of our race, the head of our race, is seated at God's right hand. As members of his body, we become divine. By the glorification of his human nature, we are given the capacity to participate in the divine life. And that should be a, a great joy to us. This is what is expressed in the preface, the special preface for the, the ascension, which, which Father, of course, will read very shortly or maybe a little bit longer, depending on how long the sermon goes. But the, the preface says that our Lord was lifted up into heaven so that he might make us partakers of his divinity. So it goes like this. We here on earth are connected with Christ, being members of his mystical body. We have a bond with him. Where is he right now? He's in heaven in a glorified state, sitting at the right hand of the Father, partaking of that heavenly glory and enjoying the beatific vision in his human soul. And as long as we have that connection, we on earth are connected with him in heavenly glory. We are connected to the divinity. And we can expect that after we die, if that connection remains and is not broken by mortal sin, then we will partake of his glory when we die. 
And I say, shouldn't that not be a source of very great rejoicing for us in this life to think that we are destined for heavenly glory, to share in the beatitude of our Lord Jesus Christ himself and that same triumph that he experienced after going through all of his sufferings, to think that our Lord's human nature partakes of the glory of God and that one day we will do the same. The only reason I can think of that, that we would not be able to rejoice in this is if we had some half-hearted belief in it. We thought, well, you know, I mean, that sounds really good, but almost too good to be true. Will that, will that really happen? Or perhaps we're, we're not interested in meditating on a regular basis on the glorious mysteries. We just find them too remote. We can identify with the joyful mysteries. We can identify with the sorrowful mysteries, but we can't identify with the glorious mysteries because we're still in this life. We say this is just too difficult to think about heavenly things. And so we don't have this savor, this intense desire, longing for the glory of heaven. Here is what a very great saint, and even a saint we put great by his name, says about the joy that we should have on this day. And he's not speaking a century ago or a thousand years ago. He's even speaking 1,600 years ago. One of the fathers of the church. And the fathers are so important because they represent for us the, the original belief of Catholics. And when, when we hear what they speak about their faith and we see that we believe the same thing, we are confirmed in this idea that we possess the Catholic faith that has been the same always and everywhere. So this father of the church, this great Pope, St. Leo the Great, when he was preaching on Ascension Thursday 1,600 years ago, he gave these two reasons as to why we should have joy on this day. First of all, because our Lord enters into glory on this day. Secondly, because of the fact that we are identified with, with our Lord and can expect to have a share of that same glory. Here's what he says. Truly great and indescribable was the reason for rejoicing when, in the presence of that holy gathering of apostles and disciples, human nature in the person of our Savior was lifted up and exalted above the dignity of all heavenly creation, passing above the hierarchies of angels, elevated above the heights of archangels, not suffering any limit or delay in its ascent through the heavenly heights, until having received a seat by the Eternal Father, it was joined to the glory of His throne. That's the first reason for a truly great and indescribable reason for rejoicing. And then he goes on to the second reason. Since then, the ascension of Christ is also our exaltation, for there is hope that the body will be summoned whither the head has preceded in glory. Let us, dearest brethren, give worthy expression to our exceeding great joy and be glad in fervent thanksgiving. For today, we have not only been confirmed as possessors of paradise, but in Christ we have scanned the very heights of heaven. Greater benefits have we obtained through the ineffable grace of Christ than we had lost through the malice of Satan. So my dear faithful, this is the situation. There is more potential for rejoicing in Easter joys than there are in Christmas joys. 
But we find it more difficult to reap those Easter joys because they are more remote from our senses, more remote from our everyday life. But that should not stop us from making that effort to really meditate upon the glorious mysteries, really trying to rejoice, firstly, in the fact that our Lord has triumphed. And because we love Him, we rejoice. And then secondly, that we ourselves are partakers of that triumph because we are incorporated with Him in His mystical body. But since it is so hard for us to rejoice properly with the joys of the glorious mysteries, let us turn especially to Our Lady in this month of May and think about all of those years after the ascension of our Lord. Was she sad during that time? Or was she not rather full of joy during those years before she herself died and was assumed into heaven? Think about how intense her joy must have been even when she was still on earth. She rejoiced so much because she knew that her son was happy, that he was reigning in glory, and that he would suffer no more. She rejoiced so much because she knew that she would one day join him in glory and that his glory was a pledge of her own glory. So let us try to have these same convictions that occupied the thoughts of Our Lady every day that she remained on this earth after the ascension of our Lord, where we say to ourselves, today I am a member of the mystical body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right now he is reigning in heaven, he reigning in eternal glory. If I remain faithful to him in this life, one day I will share as well that glory forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.